Hello, you're listening to Life of the Jet, about stories and careers of the Jet alumni community. We spoke last time about choosing your own adventure, and in this episode, our guest certainly did that. Moving with her husband and family to Japan, living in a temple, and starting a school exchange program, and more. Also on this episode, we feature sound quality issues, thanks to a fickle internet connection. Sometimes it will sound like a badly auto-tuned 90s pop song. My apologies. Please enjoy, and see you at the end. My name is Erin Noxon. I am a full-time public high school teacher here in Kyoto City. I was a JET from 2004 to 2006 in Nara. Mm -hmm. And then I moved back to South Florida, where I'm from, to live what I thought was going to be real life. And Mm -hmm. I got a house and a car and had some kids and had a job. And my husband and I were both miserable with our jobs. And we decided to think about when we were happy. And we were really happy um, when we were living in Japan. So Mm. sold the house, kept the car, left it at my parents' house, um, which is useful when we go to visit. And um, got rid of everything and came back here. Was a jet in here in Kyoto City from 2013 to 2018, at which time I applied to be a full-time teacher, kind of like a not Japanese JTE mm-hmm. with um, the Kyoto City Board of Education and went through all of the wonderful Mensetsu interviews and the hoops of that, which is a whole nother story, because it takes a year. You apply in the beginning of May for a job, you won't find out where you're going to be until like the third week of March, and then you wow. have to be ready to work in a week and a half. Um, and it's kind of like a reality TV show, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Uh, but then um, now I'm here and teaching at the same school I was in ALT at. So awesome. it's been great. How and why Jet? Like, why jet, actually? Well, I had always wanted to live in Japan. When I was a kid, I was always interested, probably from learning origami when I was really, really little. Back when, in the 80s, origami wasn't such a big thing yet. And I would be sitting folding papers, and people would go, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's origami. It's really cool. And now all kids know it. I'm like, yay! And then in high school, I was really interested in going to Japan. And my whole time I was in college, I worked and saved money. And so my kind of graduation present to myself was this YMCA program in the summer. And I went to Kobe and then I thought, oh, here it is. I went to Japan and and then I got back and I was like, oh, crap, I really want to go longer. So then it was like, okay, find ways to live in Japan. So when I was doing my master's, I found the JCMU program in Shiga Prefecture and they had an environmental science course and I was an environmental science major. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, this is really cool. So I lived in Hikone for a while and did their program for a semester. Went back, still wanted to go again. And then met my husband. And my husband, like, we met at a party where I was there because I was friends with this guy who was in my Japanese class. Mm -hmm. And my husband was in that guy's kendo club. (laughs) So we met because of Japan. Yeah. And then we met at this party and we just started talking to each other and he was like, uh, and I'm going to go to Japan someday. And I'm like, well, I've already lived in Japan. And then we just ended up talking about Japan for like hours. So mm-hmm. met my husband because of Japan. And then we were like, okay, we're going to move and live there together. And Jet seemed to be like the best way to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we went and we were in Nara for two years and it was lovely. Wow. After we moved back, we were in the States for probably about seven years before we decided to come back. And I, I was doing my doctorate at the time and I thought I could do the MEXT scholarship mm-hmm. and uh, get an advisor in Japan and apply for that and then come here. Mm-hmm. However, I'm too old and my birthday uh, is in March. If my birthday had been in April, I would have been able to do it. But my <laughs> birthday was in March. And you, once you're 35, you're too old for mixed. And so yeah. I was like, no. So I missed out on the scholarship by a month. And so we were like, okay, what can we do? And we were like, well, we could just do jet again. Let's just do jet again. So we did jet again. And I ended up finishing my doctorate by doing research on my teachers at my school. Wow. <laughs> so, so Jet, jet Doctor, yes. Yeah, so the both of you are two-time Jet participants. Uh, I, he is one time, he was a Jet here in Kyoto. So this is something, maybe if you play this for people who are aspiring Jet, and I don't know if it's true, but it really felt like it. When we applied for NARA, we went in and we were completely honest. And they said to us, what would you do if you were placed apart? And we said, well, we would choose the person who had the better placement and mm-hmm. they would accept and the other person would decline because we, you know, we need to be together. He didn't get it and I did. And I was the one with teaching experience. So we assume that's what was running through everybody's mind. But then when we applied the second time. We went in and they were like, what would you do if you were placed apart? And we said, we're going to go anyway, even though we have kids, which would be terrible if we were placed apart. But we're going to go anyway, and we'll just make it work. Yay. <laughs> and then we got, we both got it. And we got placed. Our schools are like a 20-minute like nice. bike ride apart yeah. when we were here. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, so just, just say you're going to do it. Just say, I'm going to do it. Don't be honest. Just say you're going to do it. Just Sorry. do it. <laughs> just be, oh, we're gonna make it work. Yeah, yeah. don't. Yeah, just don't like, say Genki, Genki to the nth level, basically. That's <laughs> right. what they want to see. So, how long are you? Uh, how long have you been in Japan now? That about a few. Um, this is actually my eighth year. Eighth year. Um, so With because I did the yep. Yeah. So my kids came and actually had a third kid while we were here. That's fun. It's a whole another fun story about having a baby, comparing it to having a baby in America and having a baby here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've been here. This is starting our eighth year now. I feel like this, this, this could spin out into several episodes, <laughs> touching on so many lives, such as uh, living as a family, not just a married couple, but a family, and then bringing up children. Uh, in two cultures, and then having a child in Japan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. There's lots of stories. <laughs> I feel crazy some days with all the multiple things. But it's all worth it, isn't it, in the end? Oh, it's an awful lot of fun. We were like, what were we missing when we were living in America? And we were missing this kind What's... of not... We, we kind of both thrive on this nonstop, like interesting we want interesting things to be going on and it's it's really interesting having to deal with i don't know just the elementary school paperwork and the nursery school uh events and the pta and work and life so girl scouts 
pan, all kinds of fun stuff. You, you call that interesting. Most people will call that tedious administration. <laughs> yeah, but you learn when you're doing it. Like when I was still a jet, um, they had you fill out on your work performance evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, how are you studying Japanese? And I was like mm -hmm. translating all of the paperwork from my kid's school. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, that works. <laughs> my doctorate research was in using educational technology for teachers who teach um, EFL classrooms. I mean, it couldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's like, oh, great. I don't want to work on a doctorate. Like, <laughs> give me some real <laughs> advice. What's it like being a JET in Kyoto? Because Kyoto has suffered over tourism, for example. Mm. Well, you got to remember, though, I'm not, I'm not your typical JET. Like I was never the 22 year old here going sightseeing. By the time I got to Kyoto, I'd been to all of the, the stuff when I was living in other places. So mm. I can't speak for people who are going out sightseeing and dealing with everything else. But just as like a, a mom, teacher, um, working here in Kyoto, it drags on you if you go out to those places. Mm. For example, my school is close to Arashiyama mm. and often take kids on field work out there, whether it's for our, our um, English club or for class. They'll be doing what I like to call foreigner fishing, catch and release, where <laughs> we uh, catch the, the foreigner and then ask them some list of questions and have a conversation and then say bye and then catch some other people. Sometimes we're doing surveys there. Um, we do kind of a global environment course. And they're trying to figure out how to, you know, have tourists, but lessen the impact. So they'll ask them things about placement of mm -hmm. garbage cans, or they're asking this. Well, one big thing we were asking last year was about the Tokyo Olympics, which now are sadly not going to happen this mm -hmm. summer, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but asking people just about tourist questions and stuff. Almost 95% of the time when I am out there with my students, I get foreigner fished by some other students. <laughs> They'll see me just because I don't stand right up with my kids because I don't want them to look at me for English support. So mm -hmm. I stand back a little bit. And while I'm standing there, some other group of like, you know, junior high school kids or something comes up and they're like, hello, we are from blah, 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 junior high school. Can we interview you? <laughs> and depending on my mood, I either say sure. And then I answer their questions or I go in Japanese, Hey guys, I'm working right now. These are my students, so I can't talk right now. And then they're like, oh my God, sorry. <laughs> um, but that's one of those things where I don't think no matter how long I live here, mm. anyone will ever think I didn't just come here the day before. Yeah. So that can get exhausting. And it is crowded. Like I wouldn't want to go to any tourist site on a weekend pretty mm. much ever. And I've given up on going to things like Giyomatsuri yeah um just because it's terrible there's just so many people and yeah. it's not just foreign people it's you know local people from around japan too but yeah. if you just live here for your life like i live in the city and i don't run into any of those places so it's okay pretty pretty lovely living here yeah i've been to kyoto a few times stayed near uh, over 10 years ago near Nijocho at a guest house run by this absolutely lovely bubbly lady. I do prefer Nara though I have to say because Nara feels more manageable. Oh I love Nara too. I was a jet in Nara too. I have everyone always asks me and my students ask me when I do my self-introduction oh 
you lived in Nara. Which do you like better, Nara or Kyoto? <laughs> and I'm always like, I love them both because they're both very different. Mm-hmm. I actually tease my kids because my school is kind of a higher level school. So my mm-hmm. kids always talk in this like poshy kind of way where they end everything with sa. Ano sa? Kyono sa? Ano ne? And they don't say ne, they say ano sa. And so it's like kind of poshy sounding. And when I speak, I end everything with na. Because in Nara, my kids were not posh at all. And I always called it no no na. And mm. so I, when I'm talking, they're like, why? Well, for starters, they don't hear me speak in Japanese that often. But the teachers comment on it sometimes, too. They're like, why do you end everything with na? There's still things from Nara that affect yeah. me. And I I will love Takatoricho, which is where I lived. Um, it's a really small little town and near Asukamura, right, kind of in the middle of Nara. I keep in touch with my with my kids down there. And one of actually one of my former students who was junior high came to Kyoto for her master's degree, and so she and I hung out a little bit while she yeah. was here. And now she lives in Tokyo. But um, yeah, no, I love Nara. I can't I can't choose. A few years back, Japanese tourism board brought over two Geiko and two Michael to Sydney. Because I was writing something for Jetwit, which was the New York uh, JetAA online sign. I asked, uh, I can't remember her name, uh, but I asked her what was the weirdest question she ever got from a foreigner. And she <laughs> she kind of like dropped the cool demeanor. And she said, oh yeah, uh, an American asked me whether I kept candy in my hair. Because that's what... <laughs> He had read as a child that, that because they have those elaborate hairdos and all the hair yeah, things. And they're colorful. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was thinking, yes, I asked a question that no one has probably asked her before. You must have gotten this asked quite a few times. Did you ever get a chance to meet any of the Michael or the Geiko community? Yes, actually. Well, it's hard nowadays because there are people like actors and cosplayers who oh. go downtown and just dress up like Maiko yeah. and wander around for the tourists. Um, yeah. Some being hired to do it and some just being like, I'm going to go down, down, downtown and uh, cosplay as a Maiko today. But actually one night when I was at an Enkai with my school friends, um, we went to karaoke afterwards. Yeah. And there was a Maiko in there with her guy that she was with for the night. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a real Maiko. And my friends were like, yeah, we've seen one before. I'm like, I never have seen her. Like, I, I know for sure she's a real Maiko. And I'm like, can I ask to, to, to talk to her? And they were like, uh, you got to ask the guy. And I was like, ooh, but okay. So I was like, excuse me, sir can i talk with her and he was like yeah sure and so i like asked her a couple questions and yeah stuff. and then i was like i'm totally not gonna ask you for your picture but i really want it but yeah but yeah yeah that was like the only time i knew for sure i've seen several people who could have been Maiko, but that was the only like verifiable time i remember you said you want to talk about your nonprofit or, or the study program oh yes program. yeah so, please go ahead um, Let's see, about six years ago, we started an exchange program between my high school that I work at now and my high school that I graduated from um, in South Florida. And we used to be designated as a super global high school. The ministry loves to give high schools these super designations. But basically what it means is for a period of five years, they throw a lot of money at the schools in order to do research and development. Mm -hmm. 
And so for five years, we got an awful lot of money from the government. And one of the things we developed was this exchange program. But mm. after five years was over and we lost the funding, then it's like, well, I guess we can't do the exchange program anymore. And I was like, wait, wait, no, this has been an amazing exchange program. We've had the group from South Florida come here. We've sent kids there every year and we send, we send a small group of students in January and mm. we send a one long-term student to stay as a full-time exchange student there in the fall. Mm. And I'm like, we can't let this fall apart. So when I was there for what was possibly going to be our final trip in January, I sat down with one of the teachers there and some of my friends there and um, we got together and we filed for and created a nonprofit mm. based in the U S and um, the goal is to raise scholarship money to help students from Florida to come here and our students to go there and to keep this program going because it's been a kind of a great grassroots connection for the kids. And it's had kind of waves of impact, not just on the kids who go, mm. but on the kids who meet people. So the high school there, pretty much all of the, you know, 3000 students on campus get to encounter our exchange student at some point. Mm. So it's that soft power of, you know, kind of like what Jet is, just bringing Japanese culture to another place and letting people understand it and appreciate it. And then every year when we have the American kids come here, all of my students have interactions with them in their classes and we have conversations and they do presentation and they do homestays. Mm. So then the waves of extending that are created more and more. So it's just such a great program, Yeah, but it's really expensive because airfare is so expensive yeah um, and i could just open the program to all you know the rich kids and say well you know if you can pay for it you can go mm. but that just is not right and we've always taken whatever kid can apply to the program based on their desire to go and that's yeah. what i think it should be yeah so we we started a nonprofit in january and it's a really bad time right now to have a nonprofit for an exchange yeah. program because all of them have been stopped um pretty much for this whole year we're not going to be doing anything mm. um but i see that as a really good time to raise some money but at the same time i don't want to step on everyone who's raising money for people who are hurting with yeah. this global situation so i'll put a shout out there for the nonprofit and say after this is all move we're moving past we're, it's not yeah. gonna ever be over but after we've moved past this and we're trying to get back to normal and we want to yeah. promote globalization again click the link he's got here for the podcast <laughs> about, <laughs> about our nonprofit and consider <laughs> donating for some kids who really really just are spreading their culture in good ways yeah. on either of this earth and, and making people care yeah. about each other, which is what we need and what we're going to need, especially after this, as we all come out of our teleworking houses again. Yeah, exactly. Because this, there could be a reaction to, you know, anti-global reaction than all of this. Mm. Uh, and I'm really, you know, worried about all of that. We've changed the normal to this non-normal. And when we go back, it's not going to be normal again. So we're mm. going to have to figure out how we go forward. Yeah. I think not being global is the worst idea ever. Now we come to the uh, part where you're living in a temple. Mm -hmm. So how did you manage to score such a sweet accommodation? That's really simple story. Um, when we were first coming on jet in 2013, my predecessor, we both had predecessors, but my husband's predecessor had like a 
studio apartment. So there was like no way we could live there. But my predecessor had like a kitchen, dining room, bedroom kind of style apartment. So mm -hmm. just the three rooms. And um, we were thinking, well, it's, it's cheap. It was only like 450-ish a month. And we thought, well, maybe we could live there. Mm -hmm. um, but my, the PA was constantly emailing us saying, you know, what should we do? And I said, well, if you guys could find a house, you know, that would be cool, but you know, no rush. And apparently someone in the office's friend of a friend of a friend of a friend lived up here near where we do. And they were like, oh, there's this tea house at the temple uh, near us that they're always trying to rent it, rent the, the house out and nobody ever wants to rent it. But, you know, there's that. Yeah. And so, you know, person to person, to person, to person back to the PA and the PA just said, uh, there's this house at a temple, we guess. Do you want us to check that out? And I was like, that sounds awesome. You know, yeah. sure. And they came and took pictures and they're like, what do you think? And we were like, okay. And that's how we got to live in a temple. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to sound like a dumb question, but what's it like living in a temple? <laughs> it's a really old house and it's really drafty, but I have a garden and my kids can run around and play in the temple grounds. The priest is my landlord. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a unique situation because most jets have like, to do key money and like some sort of contract with their landlord or whatever mm -hmm. but because it's a temple it's not actually rent it's a donation to the temple uh, and so there's not all kinds of other issues with that so we have like a, a payment book with him and we get the temple stamp on it but it's not the same so the temple has fire insurance and all this other insurances and such and so we don't have to recontract for that. Like he handles it. Mm. But at the same time, like when I became a public high school teacher, you can get some money for your rent if you pay rent. Yeah. And so like I, I ran home and I was like, hey, hey. And at this point, like his family and my family, his wife, um, the priest's wife has uh, and he and he and her, of course, have two kids. And the oldest one is the same age as my, my middle one. And so our kids like play together all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're good now. Um, but I ran, I ran home and I ran over there and I was like, I need a contract. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I can get some money for my rent with my paycheck if you give me a contract. And he's like, oh, okay. So he like just typed up a real quick contract and like honkled it. He's like, is this okay? And I'm like, probably. <laughs> so, yeah, there's so many different categories of living like um, now, now that I'm a public high school teacher, like I'm actually the supervisor of the two ALTs, the two jets at my school, which is wow. quite a trip. Yeah. But um, it's been interesting learning about how the whole system works from that side, because it, especially here in a big city like Kyoto, you have to find an apartment complex or a place that will accept foreign mm -hmm. residents. Yes. Because there is a lot of landlords that won't. Yeah. And that was like such a big shock to me. And I was like, I understand why, but that's terrible. And I don't want to understand that reason, you know, because foreigners might cause some ruckus and trouble going around and finding places that will not only work for foreign residents, but if you live in a house mm. as opposed to an apartment, and in certain apartments too, like if they're like duplexes or whatever and not actual apartment apartments, the categorization is different. 
So for example, there's a local area like the Kumin area where you have to pay into the community association. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you're in a house, you have to pay into that. And if you're in an apartment, you don't. So most people want to go for the apartment because then you're not actually part of the community. Mm -hmm. But because of that, you get left out of a lot of the local events. Mm -hmm. So like if they have a community sports day or a community, like, I don't know, anything, you don't end up getting invited. And for a lot of jets, I think they come wanting to get invited to those things, but they don't understand that they're being left out because they're in an apartment. It's kind of confusing. And it really depends case by case. Like if you're in a small municipality, you're probably going to get welcomed in more than you are if you're in a big city. But because of where I live, I'm in a weird loophole. So I'm not in the community, but I'm at a temple and the temple's part of the community. Mm. So... I am. Um, we get to go to all the stuff, but I'm not actually here, but I'm here. It's, it's confusing. But actually, there's lots of places where you can live at temples here in Kyoto. There's a lot of temples are losing a lot of income as the younger generation is not interested in temples and shrines and such. Hmm. And so a lot of temples are turning to bulldozing sections of their compound to parking lots. Oh, no. And then they'll sell parking spaces. There's several temples that you can do short stays at in Miyoshinji and places, big places like that, like Daishinin. But then in um, other temples, you just you end up having to network like I did, but I didn't actually do the networking. Someone else did it for me. Mm. But people who know people or people that can read the Japanese on Japanese websites can find these places to stay. There's another kind of confusing thing. So like Airbnb isn't expressly allowed by the Kyoto government that mm -hmm. we have other dormitory style buildings on the temple complex. When I first came, he had some university students living there, but lately he hasn't been any able to get any renters, but he can't post it on any sort of rental websites because it's not actually a rental and he can't do Airbnb because that's not allowed. Mm. We've done some events here at the temple, but you can't charge admission. It has to be a donation. Right. So, there's all kinds of things. You mentioned events. So are there a lot of events happening at the temple? So the priest's wife, she does tea ceremony. There's a lot of university students who come and do like sado, like tea ceremony experience yeah. with her. He does zazen. So he has some classes every once in a while where people come in and learn how to do the meditation. Every year in May, we have a Hansobo festival, mm -hmm. which is usually the same week as Mother's Day, which we have all of these bizarre kind of stalls open and the local yeah. community comes and sells their wares and they have to give a like a 1,000 yen donation to the temple to have their little stall. And uh, my Girl Scout troop, actually, the, the girls come and sell cookies. Right. And that's our, that's our Girl Scout cookie sale is at the temple. Instead of going door to door knocking and selling. The American Girl Scouts will not allow us to sell cookies because we're not on a base. So all of the, uh -huh. the lucky girls who are near yeah. uh, U.S. military bases, they can get cookies but yeah. we're you know out here in the middle of kyoto so we can't so we do our own cookie sale so interesting yeah Woo, kyoto girl scouts <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about this before and uh, i'm afraid i'm gonna have to get you to repeat yourself like oh sure you're saying the priest and his wife now mm. 
to a lot of us, uh, we obviously assume that a Buddhist priest or is a monk and he doesn't get to marry or have a family. But in Japan, it's actually a different case. So yes. why is that? I'm not a Buddhist scholar, so I can't say the exact time when it transitioned and changed over. However, in Japan, it has long been the case that priests can get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, my landlord has told me one of the reasons was because, you know, long ago, many priests were sent on these lonely missions where they'd be in the middle of nowhere in their temple all alone. And so it was decided by the, for lack of a better word, priests association here in Japan mm-hmm. that they were allowed to get married. He goes to um, Thailand and China and different places often for retreats during the year and then comes back. And one of his comments is often that the other priests come up to him and they're like, so dude, like, what's it like being married? Because, <laughs> you know, they, uh, they don't all get married. But here it, it's encouraged and priests have wives and kids. And my landlord actually grew up in this temple. His dad was the priest mm-hmm. before him. Yeah. And his wife lived in Okayama and she was a temple kid too. Wow. And so it's kind of one of those, when you have a shared background experience, yeah, you tend yeah. to connect with other people. Yeah. And so she, she grew up in a temple too, so she knows what the life was like. And so when they met, they kind of hit it off, of course, and got married. When I was in Nara, I always seemed to like gravitate towards temples, but there was a temple. I was taking Koto lessons when I was there. Wow. Um, yeah. And we would have these Koto performances at the temple. Yeah. And the first time I went, I was all like, trying to be proper and trying to be all perfect and polite. And we had our little Koto performance. And then all of a sudden, like all this beer and alcohol and food appears out everywhere. And the drunk is like throw- the drunk, the, the monk, <laughs> who is <laughs> kind of like a drunk, was throwing him back. And I was like, oh, are you allowed to drink as like a monk? And he's like, yeah, my wife bought all this for us. And I was like, oh, your wife? what and he's like yeah sure this this kid right here is my son and i was like you're her your son oh my gosh <laughs> so like i always talk to my friends like how much fun it was to get drunk with the monk and yeah. how we would just hang out yeah my landlord he's a really awesome guy my kid will be like screaming yeah. and i'm like i'm sorry like this peaceful temple and he's like no it's beautiful that's life Aww. kids scream so don't yeah. don't worry about it and i'm like I'm sure you don't think that when she's screaming <laughs> in the morning, but thank you for the sentiment. So uh, one of the reasons how we connected was a Facebook discussion and talking about the issues that's facing your temple at the moment, which is to try and attract attention and tourism. What makes your temple so special? Like, what's the history behind your temple? Oh, we have a, a long history. Um he can tell you about it better than I can, which is why I keep telling him, you got to make videos. They've got a really nice Instagram account, so I'm hoping they go for it. Oh, cool. But uh, our temple used to be much bigger than it is now. Um, and actually, there's a famous temple here in Kyoto called Tojin. It's near um, Ryuanji. Our temple used to cover Tojin. Tojin actually used to be a part of our temple yeah. back in the day. Wow. And, um, and ended up um, ended up getting separated um, but our temple is part of the whole Ging Kakuji, King Kakuji complex of, of temples. And my landlord actually works when it's his turn on the weekends at Ging Kakuji. Mm. But our temple itself is famous for um, having as its honorary patroness, one of the first, the, not, not one of the first female Zen master here in Japan 
as their their patroness. So on our website, we've got all kinds of little stories about her and stuff. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, someone will be a university professor or student and find us in a history book and come over and you know be excited to to look at the artwork and look at the statues and stuff. Wow! But yeah. these days, for the locals, we're not. A tourist attraction we're right next to one tojin temple is still right over there yeah. and a ton of people go there yeah i feel like and i've talked with him a lot that um kind of a foreign audience is kind of more where he can reach kind of like we were talking about living in a temple before anytime mm -hmm. i tell someone who is not japanese that i live in a temple they're like oh wow that's amazing oh my gosh but my friends here in japan you get a couple different reactions. The two predominant reactions are, oh God, why? Isn't that cold? <laughs> and the other the other reaction is, no, you don't. You live near a temple, right? But you don't live in a temple. Uh, the best reactions are at the airport when I'm trying to send my my bags by the Taiku bean to my house and mm. I write the temple address down and they're like, oh, you made a mistake. You wrote a temple's address down. <laughs> Yeah, temples aren't exciting for the young generation here. In some of my classes, I talk about it with the kids and I try and kind of connect them. Mm. But I think it's a, a worldwide phenomenon. Like I know I experienced that in America where kids are, you know, kids are interested in the new and the fresh mm. and the future. Mm. And it's that rare, amazing kid that's interested in the, the history and the past and the culture of what brought us to yeah. here. I feel that's also kind of like a failing of education because mm. if you really showed these kids like why it was so interesting and why it was so exciting and important that maybe they would be more into it. So yeah, yay, I'm a teacher. So I can <laughs> do that in my classes. Ultimately, what, what, what are your aims? So this is not a problem of just my temple, but a lot of temples in mm. Kyoto. There's several thousand temples in Kyoto, and many of them are facing abandonment due to these kinds of issues. Um, like I said, my landlord, the priest, like he has to go volunteer at Ginkakuji on weekends, and we get a lot of the support for the temple from him being in that association. Mm. But like the only, in it's not income, but the only they don't get money. So they have to have donations. We're also kind of not on the beaten path. Like mm. the temples who get the most attention are the, well, of course, the huge ones that everybody can, you know, tick off the names of like Fushimi and Nari Shrine mm. and Kyomizu Temple and Kinkakuji Temple and Kinkakuji Temple. Um, and, you know, Kinkakuji and Kyomizu are more than other ones because poor Kinkakuji isn't actually silver. Yeah. So people... People are like, oh, this is a letdown, and then they don't go, which is terrible because it's a gorgeous temple. But there has to be something to draw people there that is more. So we're trying to look at different experiences mm. that people could have. Mm. So like I run an exchange program at my school, mm -hmm. and every year we have students coming here from South Florida. Mm -hmm. And when those students come, one of the days I bring them here to our temple, and priest's wife does tea ceremony with them. And he does a Zen meditation with them and introduces them to the history of the temple. And it's kind of like their own little private tour of the temple. Mm. And usually every year they say that that is like the most interesting and authentic feeling experience that yeah. they have rather yeah. than going to all of the other places. Yeah. So I guess my idea 
just to try and find a way that we could do more of that. But that doesn't end up happening on a regular basis when it is just by donation and reservation. So we're trying to build our website up so that we can connect with more people who would like to have that kind of experience, like a more yeah. private experience. In the fall, we have tons of momiji of the maple trees. And so in the fall, we have these um, photo session events where you can book the whole temple for your private photo mm. session and wow. people come in and do that. And they, they can you know go in the, the gardens because the garden is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and they can do their own things. And in May, we have irises out front. So people come for the irises. Um, so just trying to create those authentic temple experiences, not the like tourist trap temples, mm. but the like, here, come here and have like a authentic temple experience with, you know, priests who can speak English. Yay. Oh, he can speak English. Oh yeah. They're like wow. super Genki English speakers. So yeah. it helps. <laughs> That's well, I mean, I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> the fact <laughs> when you said off the beaten track, that is where I want to go some of my best experiences in Japan or anywhere else in the world for that matter is just getting off the beaten track away from the cynicism and the jadedness of the people who've seen tourists coming and going and getting that uh, authentic character of people who are just like genuinely still excited to meet someone, an outsider from another country. Just being able to speak to a priest is like an added bonus as well. I'm sure that we would have a lot of people who will have questions about spirituality or at least like aspects of culture things like that the thought of being able to rent a space in the temple mm -hmm. i mean can you imagine like particularly well-heeled cosplayers international cosplayers <laughs> <laughs> yeah recreate scenes from your favorite anime that's set in the temple at some point like inuya yeah, at, or... at your private temple at your, your private, private temple session Exactly. Or, or you know, uh, make copies of the, I, I don't know if this is, this is allowed, but say make copies of the temple garb or whatever. And once again, I don't know if that's going to be crossing the line. I don't know anything <laughs> about this. I just say to ask the, uh, ask my landlord, he'll let you know. It's actually really interesting, like having conversations. For example, I was wearing a kimono for yeah. my daughter's graduation ceremony. And I had this really long conversation with him and his wife about like me as a foreigner wearing a kimono and like, was that cultural appropriation or was it not? Mm. And then actually I found a, a really great article about it later about the, the difference between cultures meeting on the same level mm. and cultures appropriated and meeting on a colonization level yeah he was like no it's fine and i haven't yet encountered a person in japan who's been upset if i you know were to wear a yukata or wear a kimono it's not looked on as cultural appropriation but almost as an appreciation of the culture but that's because western cultures met japan on an equal footing yeah. for the most part I don't think I've ever heard it explained so succinctly and I've had a lot of conversations about cultural appropriation and the difference would have been if you showed for example the recent movie Ghost in the Shell where Scarlett Johansson and a white yeah. actress is playing a Japanese character and a lot of people in Japan just like well that's their interpretation and they don't feel offended but obviously if you ask someone like uh, an ethnic minority living in America where they have a lot of emotional baggage and they've lived through a totally different experience of being treated as the other, as a second-class citizen. Mm -hmm. So anything like that just comes across as cultural appropriation. And 
I think in different contexts, both of them, both viewpoints are actually valid. And it really depends on your like context as well. Because me wearing the kimono, I was the mother of a child in a Japanese elementary school, and she was having her graduation ceremony, and there were other moms dressing kimonos too.、Mm. So. You know, I'm just dressing pretty like everybody else's because I wanted to get dressed up for her graduation, and that was the way to do it. Yeah. But I was in a high school play in Florida, and was just dressing haphazardly in some kimono that I found in Goodwill and <laughs> painting my face inappropriate colors and doing things. Then yeah, that <laughs> is a different context and a different time and situation. So、yeah. when I see some of these pictures that pop up online, I'm like, "Ooh, contact!" <laughs> like, no, that's racist, honey. Sorry. You know? <laughs> oh, you mentioned getting your landlord to do a live broadcast talking about various aspects about the temple, about spirituality, about Buddhism, that sort of thing. Unlike myself, who I am like a total computer nerd. They're both like, "Oh God, making <laughs> videos!" Ah, so we've got to get together sometime soon on a weekend,、mm. social distancing away、yeah. from each other while still being here,、yeah. and figure out exactly um, um, how, how they can do it. Yeah, and I tell them all the time how wonderfully they speak English, but they're of course also、mm. hesitant to tell it, like on a like on a kind of a visible. Mm-hmm. Scale because they're、yeah. like, oh God, we'll say something wrong, and I'm like, nobody's gonna mind that it, you're communicating and people can understand. That's what it's about. It's about communication, not like perfect grammar. People would be、mm-hmm. in awe that they are able to communicate with a real life priest, like a Japanese. Yeah,、priest. right. Yeah, it's really. In、cool. fact, if, if nothing else, I think the audience would be more nervous about the interaction <laughs> than he would be, right? Uh, because, I'll have to tell them that. <laughs> yeah, no, they they would be because they'd be afraid of making asking some stupid question or making or making a cultural faux pas, things like、mm. that. He's always consistently amazed by how interested people from other countries are in temples,、mm. because he and she as well. They both think you know it's just their you know they both grew up in temples. It's just life. It's just、yeah. another building. It's a, a place where he, you know,、um, does his worship and helps other people.、Mm. But it's he's like, why is everyone so interested? And I'm like, because it's it's different and it's、yes. amazing to other people because of those differences. Yeah. And people are interested in learning. And he's like, but it's just our temple. Like, I'm like no, don't worry, they're really interested. So he's very humble and he he's, he's constantly、awesome. he's he's a really nice guy. Yeah.、Uh, more business. Our temple can have here happening at our temple.、Mm. The less he has to go volunteer at all the other temples,、mm. because he's actually being able to support the temple here, as opposed to having to work for the association and get money for the temple by his work for the association.、Mm. So, if he can get the ability to be able to do all that stuff, because he knows it's all being reserved, and it's been hard this year with everything being canceled. Yeah.、Uh, We had the the iris viewing, and people pay a little bit to come in and、uh, do pick do photography and pictures. Then, and we had to cancel all that because that's in May,、mm. and our festivals in May that got canceled. And that's usually a nice little fundraiser, 
and we're hoping the fall is better so we can do the fall photography but you know yeah uh, and i say we because <laughs> i don't actually i'm not actually a part like i'm not a priest i'm not a part of the temple but being here and being like friends with them mm. like I care about this place so yes. much because it's where I live and what I'm a part of. So when I say we, I'm not like appropriating myself as becoming a part of the temple. <laughs> I'm just saying we as in I live here and I want people to come here. When you were younger, like, did you think that this would be your life? Oh, no. Like if you told me when I was a little kid that I'd be living in Japan for this long, I would have been like, where? Huh? Like. <laughs> No, I just, I thought I would always live in Florida and go to the beach mm. every weekend. And that would be life. When we left Jet for the first time and went back to the States, um, we were doing what we thought was what you're supposed to do. Mm. You're supposed to get a house and you're supposed to get a car and yeah. you have your kids and you get your jobs and that's your job and mm. you're going to work it and do your life. Mm. And, you know, I was a teacher and he was actually in law enforcement there. You know, we, we did our things and life was just happening and it wasn't as interesting as it had been and we were like when was it interesting oh it's interesting we were in japan mm. um and also i'm not i've never stayed at a job where i wasn't happy mm. that was kind of something i decided i actually taught for a year before we came to nara because i was waiting for my husband to graduate he's a little bit younger than i am i really did not work well with the, the, the administration and the faculty. And I thought, I'm so glad I'm leaving because I wouldn't want to stay here for very long. Yeah. And I don't agree with all of this stuff. And then when we came here and I was in Nada, I had a really good time with my kids, but I was kind of one of those ALTs that was just kind of a living tape recorder. Mm, yeah. And I pushed to do more and I tried to do more, but I was younger and not so experienced in teaching. So I didn't feel like telling the teachers what they could and couldn't do. And now, retrospectively, I know that I probably could have because they're probably just as nervous and didn't understand what was happening as I am now yeah. knowing how the system works. But you know, you feel like you can't step on other people's toes. Yeah. But one of the reasons we only stayed two years is I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I've got to be a real teacher. Mm. But then when we went back, like I was a real teacher and I was still just not happy with what we were doing. And so now here at this school that I'm teaching at now, I've been here, this is starting my eighth year teaching there. I, I still love it. So as long as I still love it, I'm gonna stay. Mm. Um, but one of the reasons I love it is because I do all of the work to do the programs and to do all of the other stuff that I'm doing. In order to enjoy it, I have to work really hard to make it a situation in which I will enjoy it. My gratitude and thanks to Aaron for doing this episode at the end of a long and busy day. As Aaron said, there were a lot of topics that could no doubt fill another episode or two, but unfortunately time was against us. I'll be posting a whole lot of links in the footnotes for this episode, like the Facebook page for Legacy, the Learning Exchange for Global Associations and Connections, Incorporated, the exchange program that Aaron set up. Also check out Shin Yoji's Instagram, informational website and booking form for when we're all able to travel again in the hopefully near future. Show some appreciation, love and support, perhaps suggest what you'd like to see if there will be an online class. Let's help make sure that they don't pave over paradise and put up a parking lot. 
Mm, that would make a good song lyric, I think. Someone get on it. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, email me at webmaster at jetaainternational.org. The After Jet podcast is supported by Claire, the Council of Local Authorities for International Relations, that is otherwise an independent project by me, Aiden Law. All opinions and ideas discussed on the AfterJet podcast do not necessarily represent the views or position of Claire or any organization associated with Claire. Thank you as always to everyone who has supported and made this project of mine possible. Music adapted for this episode for Beautiful Human Life by Icriel from the album Shapes With and Without Corners. It's licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike 3.0 international license and is available on freemusicarchive.org. Thank you.